As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Wednesday, August 18th, and we have a lot to talk about because finger-pointing is happening, and it's happening around the Mets. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Mets and their recent slide and figure out who's really to blame or what is really to blame for their disappointing season. But we're also going to pull back and take a look and see if... There are other teams that are actually bigger disappointments than the Mets. I know they had lofty expectations, but we're going to try and quantify this and, and dig into that a bit. We're also going to take a look at a really good question we got from a listener about elite speed and the development of hitters, trying to figure out where we can find viable speed sources in the future. And uh, we had a follow-up question. We were talking about top players for 2022 from a fantasy perspective on our last show. There was a good follow-up question on Twitter about Shohei Otani, so we'll kind of set some expectations where we think he might go looking ahead to drafts for next year. So all those topics and probably a few more along the way. Uh, you know, I don't think I've been this happy about a furniture delivery in my entire life. I have a couch now in my new place. It only took about two weeks from the time we got here to get it, which is actually pretty fast given the state of the world. So I'm very grateful that it got here as quickly as it did. You got a couch. Do you have, you have a TV stand? You put that together. TV stand is built. The TV, uh, TV is on it and functioning. It is hooked up. Obviously, I've got you the internet. Have, do you have a bed frame yet? Are you sleeping no, on the ground still? No bed frame, which Hazel loves. <laughs> <All right. laughs> we still have the guest mattress on the floor right now. So smaller bed on the floor. Dog loves it. Steph and I, less happy about it. <laughs> yeah. And then the camping stuff. All right. All and the right, camping dude. stuff. And you can slowly, see behind me. Slowly gathering steam. If you're watching on YouTube, I got the big back chair. I got the big and tall, big comfy, uh, oh, big yeah. comfy An chair. office chair now. Nice. Got that. And I have have a, a desk I got on Amazon from the great brand Petorsen. Actually, it's a nice desk so far. It's held up for the right. first week of its lifespan. So my, things are coming together. Like this is this is happening. I'm I'm Someday happy. You'll have something on the wall behind you. Someday, yeah. The Brewers, the Brewers are playing well. We're not talking about them among the most disappointing teams. They've been one of the you best teams in the league. Them in, though. I had to mention them. Things are looking up. I, I don't have any cups yet, so I still have the, the cups left here. <laughs> red Solo cups. It's like a college party all over again. Yeah. Did you um, did you wash Red Solo cups in in college to keep them uh, in circulation longer? Yes, we did, because I lived in the Enchanted Broccoli Forest, which was a co-op that was based on sustainability and embracing all sorts of different uh, sort of vegan and, and, and uh, vegetarian uh, eating options. So, yes. And also, we were the party dorm. So, so <laughs> we were cheap. Uh, we, we had a Hobart, and uh, we would sanitize those solo cups and use them again. Yeah, Enchanted Broccoli Forest. A real thing verified actually recently by my wife who actually happened to see it I met my wife in the enchanted broccoli forest see it's a magical place <laughs> best thing broccoli's ever done for anybody so let's start with the mets just because they are kind of the focal point of baseball twitter i would say over the last eh, only about eight hours or so 
Uh, it's been pretty raucous on Matt's Twitter today. Steve Cohen took it to Twitter while I was asleep and you were asleep. Uh, he <laughs> got on the old Twitter machine. If you're watching us on YouTube, I will be kind enough to put the tweet on the screen. He tweeted the following, It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. There's a lot of ways we can go with this, and uh, I think anytime the Mets are a dumpster fire, a lot of people who just like dumpster fires come out and do the Nelson months, ha ha, and it's just, you know, it's just how things go, but the Mets don't score runs, and I think rather than say, well, they don't score runs, so end rant, why aren't they scoring runs, I think is kind of the the better question, like where, where did it go wrong, because I think Everyone loved the Lindor trade when it happened. Most people liked the collection of moves they were making coming to the season, and it looked like they had good depth. It looked like they were well-protected for the very scenario that has unfolded on them. Uh, Derek Rhodes over at Baseball Prospectus has the great injury trackers, and he had it. It was a graphic that ESPN put up on a broadcast just the other day. The Mets have lost more win value due to injuries than any other team in the league. They've lost like 10 wins this season, I think, based on, uh, on his calculations, which makes... A lot of sense, right? Tack 10 wins on to the Mets' pace, and they'd be winning the NL East, and things would be perfect right now. But focusing first on the offense, why has it gone so wrong for this team? Because it didn't look like they were going to have any issues scoring runs back in the spring. Well, I think the, the injury thing goes in there, and, and I think it's worth pointing out that this is like a veteran team that you'd kind of expect some injuries to happen. I think the Yankees you know, were a similar team. In fact, if you look at uh, projected outcomes, like sort of if you look at how many runs this, these teams are projected to score going forward and how much they've scored to date, uh, the two biggest outliers are the Mets and the Yankees. Um, the Mets have scored the second least runs in baseball and are projected in the bottom 10 are projected to have the best run scored going forward. That's 3.7 so far this year. And they're supposed to score 4.5 a game. That's a huge gap. The Yankees have a similar gap um, and a similar team, a veteran team that got hurt, right? A lot of injuries. um, And they had to rely on their depth. I think the Yankees little scuttling period was that their depth wasn't as good as they'd hoped. And some of their depth got injured, you know, with like Clinton Frazier and, and so on. So, um, I think that some of this is the natural ebb and flow of a veteran team. Older guys get hurt more often. There's a little whiff of um, of, of not great luck. Uh, if you look at their expected uh, outcomes by StatCast and what they've actually done, they're, they're 11th. Like, I mean, there's a lot less lucky. There's teams that are way less lucky. St. Louis is number one. Rangers. Minnesota is number three. Oakland is number four. The Yankees are number six. So maybe a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of injury luck, and then a little bit of truth in what Cohen is saying, I think. Because if you look at reach rate, the top 10, the top teams in reach rate, uh, meaning they don't swing at balls, Padres are number one. Dodgers are number two, Giants are number three, Yankees are number four, Houston is number six, Oakland is number seven, Milwaukee is number eight. I mean, Cohen's right. The disciplined teams are good. And at the bottom, the Mets at 23rd are surrounded by the Rangers, the Tigers, the Rockies, the Angels, the Marlins. The only good team around them is the White Sox. And they just have a super powerful team with a great pitching staff. So I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that like Cohen is 100% right. I also don't know if what he's doing is productive. I don't know. I mean, now you got to go. Now the media has to go to Hugh Quattlebaum. And I've seen already like the, the Hugh Quattlebaum is the, uh, the hitting coach there. They have to go to him and ask him what he thinks. And so he has to give a quote. And they have to go to Pete Alonzo. And did you hear what the owner said? And then Pete Alonzo has to give a quote. I mean, it's not like these guys don't know. It's not like they're not working on being, uh, you know, having play discipline. And I just talked to Brandon Nimmo last night. He's got the best reach rate in baseball, uh, in, like maybe fourth best. So, you know, I would say that, like, if they got their A list together and some of those guys got it back together again, this isn't a team that would have a bottom five reach rate going forward. And uh, so I think it still comes back to a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of uh, injury. 
All right, so a little bit of a few different things. Funny that they added Javier Baez at the trade deadline, though, as many people pointed out, since he would yeah, take their biggest out. flaw and <laughs> make that biggest flaw even bigger. So uh, not necessarily an ideal acquisition from that perspective, even if he's you know a net positive, an upgrade overall to what you had uh, on the infield playing second base most days. The Cohen thing, it's like the players definitely know. I, I think the... The other question, though, is does it, does it is it good for the game because it riles up the fan base in a more like human sort of way? The interaction between ownership and the fan base is more comparable to, I don't know, Mark Cuban and basketball when you have an owner communicating on a platform that many fans actually use, right? Be, being a fan of the team when you own the team is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing, I would argue, and I think... In his way, he's showing that and proving that. And I think he's saying the things that a lot of people who call into uh, New York yeah. radio are saying, right? So it, it's it's kind of like, okay, so he's kind of showing his fan base. I'm one of that's, you. That's engaging, I guess. Yeah, so it, it, en- it, it's, it is, in as much of a way as an owner can reasonably engage a fan base, I think that's what he's doing. But is it productive? I would say no. it's a big fat eye roll for everybody in the organization. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, yeah, boss, we we know what the problem is, and you know we're going to have to take some time to fix it. And I think the bigger questions for Steve Cohen are, you know, what are you going to do in the front office? Like, what are you going to change there? Like, what what steps are you taking next this offseason? People want fire and brimstone. People want heads to roll like all the time. It, it it's the same way people react when a manager gets ejected. Like, have you ever really listened to that subtle roar of the crowd when the manager gets tossed, the moment that the umpire actually makes the signal that someone's gone? The crowd roars mm-hmm. every single time. I think people have a similar kind of visceral response to big changes in the front office and big changes with the roster and big changes with coaches and managers, right? It's like, it's coming. It's going to happen. This, this season right. is not what they expected it to be, and there will be people that pay the consequences for that. I'm not sure that I have the confidence that the right decisions will be made. One of the reasons, one of the, the things I don't like are um, Zach Scott getting the interim GM level uh, low and not really um, necessarily getting to hire the people he needs, and and the the owner sort of uh, saying that he might hire someone above Zach Scott. It's like okay, so Zach Scott's not the guy running the guy. Okay, so Sandy Sandy Allison is. Oh, Sandy Sandy. Uh, you know, uh, put his kid in the leadership position that you know the people are grumbling that he doesn't deserve, right? Ooh, this is this sounds like the sounds like the beginning of a mess. Um, and uh, I think it's a little unfortunate that Steve Cohen came in and clean house and then brought back Sandy. Unfortunately, think, you had I to think turn that's the page. Not the greatest move. But I, the, I, he turned the page back. Mm-hmm. It should have. He should have just hired. I don't know. Maybe there was some pressure from baseball, or maybe he was just worried uh, that did he didn't want to like jump into a new space and then you know hire a bunch of new people and not know what he was doing, and and so he he went with like the sort of tried and true. But uh, I think it was a missed opportunity to kind of go in there. I think maybe he shouldn't have fired anybody. Maybe just the, the maybe maybe not fire anybody the first year. I mean, like you don't know who's good and who's bad. You didn't go in there and talk to people. I mean, maybe they talked to they had like a a month, but like how how long do you think it would take you to go into an organization and really know, you know, everybody like who in the organization stay and who should go. I don't think it would happen in like a week or two. Six months probably is a, like a, a year. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're aggressive about it and you're really good at getting to know people and you can understand how something works faster than most people, six months would be pretty aggressive. So giving it a season to see and, and putting your stamp on it as an owner by saying, hey, go out and, and make some moves. Let's let's go get Lindor. Let's spend some money. Let's be players in free agency. That's step one of like eight. Like that, That's the thing. If you're a Mets fan and you're mad today, did you really think it was going to happen overnight? Maybe because it looked like there was at least a chance. Because Cohen, could. like, yeah, it was a shiny Cohen new owner comes in, cleans house. But know. it's also it's we're not in year five of more of the same. We're in year one, and I think there were pretty clear efforts up front with the roster to try and and reshape things in a meaningful way. 
running there's through a lot of stuff behind the scenes that needs to be done that you know it might be being done i'm not saying it's not being done but like those are like things that take a little bit while longer i mean just look at how different and this is not an ownership situation but just look at how different it was when farhan took over in san francisco right there was no like you know big uh free agent acquisition there was no uh, you know, I don't think he even cleaned house. He like he, he he fired some people in the first row, and then he fired some people in the second year, and he fired some people in the third year. So like, yes, over time he's gotten everybody that he wants into the places he wants. But I don't think it was like I landed here and everyone's fired. Um, you know, so and uh, and I'm going to immediately trade for the biggest name on the market, and you know what I mean, like and give him three hundred million dollars. Like I think it was a very different uh, sort of changing of the guard here in San Francisco, and I. Uh, I hope that behind the scenes in New York, they're working on getting the uh, out to out of date uh, analytic systems up to up to speed. That the player development is being goosed. That the you know that they're doing the right make, right making the right decisions downstream, so that as they do this activity up top, that like they're improving their processes to produce uh you know produce major league pitchers and and hitters on the back end. So, um, I don't know, maybe maybe it's happening. I think the follow-up question here, again, a lot of this focused on underperforming offense players. What's next for Francisco Lindor? What's next for J.D. Davis and, and Jeff McNeil? We can kind of go through those guys and Michael Conforto probably too and, and Dominic Smith. I would say those five guys in some form or another are getting a lot of criticism for this offense underperforming. I didn't see this coming from Lindor at all. I was expecting all season long that he'd come back and and be the above average, do everything really well sort of player that we've been so used to seeing. I mean, three consecutive 30 home run seasons prior to the shortened year. Maybe last year was more of a warning uh, than we wanted to believe. A 258, 335, 415 line was a pretty big step down for him, but I think it was so easy to give anybody a pass for a downturn in performance last season for so many different reasons. Now that we see it over another 88 games, if, like, if you're looking at a, a past calendar year leaderboard right now, he's been a three-and-a-half win player over the past calendar year. Certainly not bad and the kind of player that could bounce back, but what does he bounce back to? Do we get another 30 home run season from Francisco Lindor at some point, whether that's 2022 or even further into the future? I think they have to look into that park. The park is playing weird. Uh, it's also playing super pitcher-friendly right now. Um, and that's part of your answer, I think, for Francisco Lindor. I think he's more like a 275-25 guy uh, going forward, 22-25. Like, you know, he may not even hit 25 every year. Uh, that's partially the park uh, and partially age. Um, but I think there's enough uh, rebound potential in those in that group. Um, I think that uh, Conforto in particular is going to be better going forward, but uh, they've got one more year of him. I think that just with one more year of Conforto and one more year of Thor, your biggest uh, choice is to re-rack. You just re-rack. You you'd make some changes around the edges. Uh, unfortunately, I think the the world of Hugh Quattlebaum, and I think that he's a good hitting coach, but I think unfortunately what they'll end up doing is hiring a new hitting coach, uh, signing a couple of periphery free agents, some pitching depth, um, You know, maybe changing something about the park. Uh, and and coming back on a re-rack and and hoping that Conforto is better, uh, Degrom's health is better, and uh, Thor comes back with a full season. And in fact, I think those things could break differently next year, and they could look amazing. Yeah, mostly the same core could come back and do what it was supposed to do this season, and it wouldn't be that big of a surprise. But if that's going to happen, it is a lot of individual rebounds. I, w- I would say Lindor of everybody who's underperformed is probably for me the most likely to bounce back all the way to previous levels. Even if I'm not expecting that, I think it's more likely for him than anybody else because Conforto was coming off of the career best season in the shortened season, right? 322, 412, 515. No one was expecting that to happen again. But I do think what we saw probably in 2017, 2019, like the, the best versions of Conforto there when the slugging percentage was near or above 500, you know, you're talking about a guy that hit 257 at the low end, 279 at the high end, good OBPs, good power, good middle-of-the-order run producer. I believe that's who he is. The projections point in that direction as well. I mean, 347 OBP from the bat or the bat X and then like a 431 slug the rest of the way seems a tad low to me. I think there's a 
compelling reason to believe there's still at least one more very good season in his bat. Here's one thing that I don't like about Cohen's uh, comments. And it fits in with this negotiation in public that happens with the Mets that's happened for a really long time that's still happening. And the way I talk about that is, was it Zach Short that was there? That's not his name. Zach Scott. Zach Scott, who came out and said, the players aren't following our injury plans for them. What are you doing? If that's true, that's an indictment on your process, your communication with the players. And now you're communicating with us about this instead of communicating with them or your coaches. Uh, then on top of that, maybe the players are right not to follow your things because the Mets have to- terrible injury outcomes, and they have for a really long time. And like, whenever a player gets traded away from New York, uh, all the stuff shows up in the media about how bad they were, this or that, or uh, you know, they're they're bad seed or whatever, right? And you're starting to see it happen this year. We're starting to figure out who we're going to scapegoat. That's how I read a little bit what was going on with Tim Healy uh, today, also on Mets Twitter, which is he had this tweet uh, that around a story that he wrote and he says Marcus Stroman's numbers last night seven innings three runs 114 pitches nine retweets of personal highlights within 25 minutes of the game ending and that's that was his frame for a start in which Stroman did all that he's supposed to do you know kept the first place Giants to three runs Mm -hmm. yeah and I don't think Marcus Stroman, if you made a list of the five things that have gone wrong that have caused the Mets season to turn out this way, Stroman's not even in conversation for that. But I guess, like, you know, it's a little bit of maybe frustration on Healy's part because, you know, our access is difficult right now and you're you're just getting him on the field and certain PR for certain teams is not very helpful in getting players. Uh, I've even heard writers say that PR has told them, uh, you know, that's not my job. (laughs) Ooh, uh... Right now it is. I'm sorry. In this situation, it is. Maybe it's not always, but in this situation, it kind of is because otherwise your players don't talk to anybody. And there's a CBA thing where we negotiated the media and the players talk. So anyway, uh, there's a little bit of frustration there. Then you get, so Marcus Stroman probably doesn't come out on the field. Most of, A lot of starting pitchers don't. So you don't get him when he comes out on the field. So then you get him after the game. That's your only chance to ask any questions. And then I guess Marcus Stroman was not super into the questions in the Zoom at the end, which is a little bit different, a little stilted anyway, because it's a Zoom and it's a press conference style instead of like, you know, actually being able to, you know, look him in the eye and, and talk to him and ask him a question. And he, I guess he maybe either ended it early or he's sort of expressed disrespect for the questions he was answering in some way. Uh, and so Healy felt frustrated and, you know, expressed his frustration with maybe the disconnect between Stroman's social media presence and the Mets' performance as a team, which um, I guess that could be an emotional response. I don't know that it's great for a writer to kind of bring that into his story, <laughs> uh, but a uh, little bit of frustration all around. But then is it like there was a little bit of it that was like, Oh, are we going to scapegoat? How are we going to scapegoat Stroman for this season? Like, <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense unless he's just decided that Stroman's not going to be here next year. And that can be a good story for him. I don't know. I there's, I'm ascribing a lot of uh, potential motivations to, to Tim that I don't know uh, for certain which one it is, but none of them really read that good. And they do kind of go feed into this LOL Mets thing. And that's where the ownership comments, I don't think, help. Because the, then yeah, the timing, yeah. Because then it just seems like, oh, everyone's just crapping on the team and scapegoating and not taking responsibility for their part in it and uh, just sort of backbiting. And, oh, this feels a lot like LOL Mets and all the stuff that's happened before. So 59 and 60 is the record entering play on Wednesday. They're playing the Giants as we record this. 10.7% chance of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs. The, the related question I had for you for today was just, are they the biggest disappointment in baseball as a team? And well, can we quantify that? Can we actually come up with a good way to say, yeah, they are, or drum roll, please. 
We took uh, the current uh, playoff odds and subtracted the April 1st playoff odds. And the biggest difference at 72% are the Mets. The Mets went from 82% likely to make the playoffs when the season started to 10% now. Uh, and, uh, I don't know why my numbers are slightly different than yours, but, uh, because we were just talking to each other, (laughs) maybe they're changing as things happen. Anyway, uh, 72%, the other biggest in order twins, number two, going from 60 to zero Padres, number three, going from 93 and a half to 50.7. They're kind of a point coin flip right now. Anybody watching the Padres knows there's a bit of a tinge of disappointment, maybe not in the whole season, but in how it's going right now. Uh, the pitching is falling apart and uh, just it's been tough. I mean, if Jake Arrieta is starting for your team uh, in Coors, you know, things aren't going that well. Angels, four, uh, going from 41 to zero. Blue Jays. We're 55% likely to make the postseason and are now 21% likely. It's a little weird for me to call that a disappointing season. Um, well, I think it's just a, it's I think it's just like a, a function of the numbers. It's not they were they were somewhat likely to make the playoffs and they're still somewhat likely to make the playoffs. It's not I, I wouldn't call that a big disappointment. No, but a lot has changed just in the past week. I think last Friday, their playoff odds were almost identical to the Yankees, and now the Yankees are sitting up at 70.7%. So right. a big shift just in these last couple of games that has really kind of changed the way that that playoff race looks. Yeah, and, and so these numbers are always in flux, but I think that there's more flux around the sort of 20s and 50s, right? Padres win five or six games uh, against the right opponents. They could be back right to 90%, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, like, I think the that's in fluctuation. The Cardinals are next, going from 32% to 6.9%. That I think that would be a disappointment, especially for people after they got the Aaron, Arenado trade. Felt like they were the uh, the easy favorites in that division. Cleveland is next. I think that counts as a disappointment. Nationals next. Cubs, those are three teams that had some possibility of making the postseason that nobody was calling a favorite, but all kind of went in the tank. Um, and then the Yankees are the 10th biggest disappointment. And I think that just goes back to that Blue Jays number where it's like uh, they were 89% to begin the season. They could be 89% tomorrow or in a week, you know. Um, so, I, I, you know, there were some people that were disappointed by the Yankee season in between, but it's going to end up in the playoffs most likely just like uh, the preseason number said they would. Yeah, so uh, it's not just the Mets, but by that measure, they actually are the biggest disappointment <laughs> in baseball. And, and again, frustration actually seems uh, pretty warranted this time around. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to our other big topic for today because I I really like this question. This one came in from Owen, and Owen wrote, uh, Finding speed seems to be harder than ever these days with only two players on pace to steal more than 30 bags this season with interest in Adalberto Mondesi quickly falling due to injuries and the Royals stating that it's unlikely he will play more than 100 games in 2022. The fantasy community will likely turn to the next source of elite stolen base production. The obvious candidate in line is Vidal Brujan with his near-generational speed. My question is, what tools or minor league indicators can we look at to project Brujan's bat development? We seem to get these elite speedsters every so often, and it is often the case that their bat never develops to the major league quality, and they lose playing time as well as their fantasy viability. Examples like Billy Hamilton and Malik Smith. 
wondering what you think about projecting bat development and how highly you value Bruhan as a future Dynasty League player. Kind regards, Owen. So let's start with Bruhan first before we sort of pull back and, and get into what we might use to find other hitters that could have a lot of success. Bruhan has done something that I think will make him very affordable in redraft leagues in 2022. It's that he has debuted and he did not look good in that debut, right? <laughs> it, was, it was 10 awful games. It was a 30% K rate. Really he didn't really draw any walks. buying opportunity. <laughs> yes. He created a great buying opportunity because just that little sliver of time in the big leagues, if he doesn't get anything else down the stretch this year, that's going to turn the projections down quite a bit from where they would have been if he'd come up and had some success, even if he hadn't come up at all. Like This is something we get to in every draft season. So I already think there's a good chance Bruhan's going to be a little undervalued, at least in the early part of draft season. But what do we expect from him as a hitter? Because a lot of what we saw from him at AAA this year was a level of power that really hadn't been there in the past. We saw a flash of it at high A a few years ago, but level to level, not as much power as we saw during this run with Durham prior to his initial promotion to the big leagues. Can we believe that? Can we believe that that sort of power growth is real in his profile? I think so. The reasons that I have are that the power growth is steady all the way from his 102 ISO uh, in rookie ball in his first attempt all the way to, to 189 in AAA. You can see it's not uh, it's not a stepping stone where every year was a little bit more ISO, but it's, it's a gradual improvement in his isolated slugging, which is uh, slugging minus batting average. And then uh, that's supported by a gradual improvement in ground ball rate. That one ground ball rate kind of went in fits and lurches. So it's not surprising to me that he hit the major leagues with a 56% ground ball rate, even though it's such a small sample that I'm not saying that that's anything written in stone. Um, that didn't surprise me when I first saw it. However, I do think he has the opportunity to, within the third, first uh, sort of two or three years, to get that under 50%, uh, which to me suggests that he has a chance at kind of league average-ish power. I wouldn't project that in his first year, but given these improvements in ground ball rate and ISO over time, I'm comfortable saying that I don't think he's a zero in power. And I think there's one other thing that Bruhan does really well that not all speedsters do. He controls the strike zone really well. Mm -hmm. I know the, the 10 games I mentioned, a 30% K rate is alarming, but it's a very small sample. Vidal Bruhan has never struck out more than 15% of the time at any minor league stop. And he's been young for the level it, everywhere he's played. And he also draws walks, too. Yes, it's not just a yeah. case where it's Three all contact, walk rate, low walk rate. percent strikeout rate. No, yeah. these, these are good walk, double-digit walk rates everywhere up until, I think, his second run at high A. He was still at 8.7% there. He was at 11.9% at AAA this year. I think Vidal Bruhan's a good player. I think maybe the other questions about him would be, is he going to play for the Rays in 2022? Or is he a guy that gets traded and ends up breaking in somewhere else? Regardless... He's ready to play in the big leagues. And I think part of the reason he's not playing the big leagues right now is because he's on a team that is fighting to win its division and they've got so much depth that they think he's better served right now getting more everyday playing time at AAA. Yeah, one reason that controlling the plate really matters is, you know, here's a weird name for you, Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry has maybe the opposite of Vidal Bruhan speed, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you look at his max exit velocities and his barrel rates, Jed Lowry has never been a guy that I don't think he has plus power. In fact, if you want to look at Bruhan from a scouting standpoint, Fangrass put a 45-50 on the raw power for, Jed La for, for Vidal Bruhan, and I would say that Jed Lowry's game power is probably around a 45-50, right? Um, but the way that Jed Lowry does it is by controlling the strike zone is by, uh, only swinging at good pitches basically. Uh, so there's a lot of power to be had just by, um, you know, connecting on middle, middle basically, and not, not, uh, swinging at pitches outside the zone. Um, so if that can produce, you know, sort of 10 to 15 homers a year for Jed Lowry, then I don't see why I can't for Vidal Bruhan. 
Um, it's just going to come also hopefully with 30 to 40 steals. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of um, Jose Altuve in here. And I mentioned, I think that's a really important one because I went back and looked at the last 10 years. Um, I don't, I didn't want to go back further because baseball changes a lot. And they're t- like, if I went back, you know, 40 or 50 years, I'd find guys that stole a ton of bases and, and didn't have any power. But I wanted to look back just the last 10 years, and I wanted to find guys who had multiple 30-steal seasons. Jose Altuve is number one with six, and Starling Marte is number two with five. But I've got about 20 guys that have done it. Um, and of the 20 guys that have done it, the only ones that have an ISO, an isolated segment under under uh, 100 are D. Gordon, Ben Revere, Billy Hamilton, Alcides Escobar, and Elvis Andrews. Now, the thing that you have in common are, you know, uh, Sterling defensive positions in center and short. However, another thing that you have in common is that none of these guys have done it recently. And I kind of feel like the game is moving away from, uh, like, I think the closest was D. Gordon, maybe B- Billy Hamilton. Uh, just watching their struggles uh, staying in the game suggests to me that baseball does not want to give uh, at bats to anybody with no power at all. Um, and so if you look at, you know, this year, uh, the guys that have more than 15 stolen bases, the only guys that have a, a sub 100 ISO are Miles Straw and Rymel Tapia. Okay, a little bit of uh, defense up the middle for Straw. Tapia is actually projected to have better than 100 uh, ISO. So now you're down to one guy with more than 15 stolen bases that has a sub 100 ISO. So to me, that's a meaningful benchmark for people to, to, to get over. Yeah, I think it's become clear in the last few years, the speedsters of tomorrow are going to be more than just speedsters. We're going to see more guys like Trey Turner and Bo Bichette and uh, Kyle Tucker and Tatis and Acuna and Betts at the very top of the board, even Kyle Tucker, right? Like more, more guys like that who get us the bulk of our stolen bases than the, hits two homers a year but steals 30 bases. The the Dysons, the Malik Smiths, like those guys are, are increasingly going to be difficult Straw to was, find. Straw was doing fine. He got traded. <laughs> like Houston was like, eh. <laughs> right? On to the next one. Yeah. So I just, uh, I don't think that, I think that uh, my basic thing that I'd be looking for is, like in the case of Vidal Brujan, for guys that are like, ooh, does he have 100 ISO or not? is looking for at ground ball rates and looking at progression, uh, but then also more highly valuing perhaps um, minor leaguers that show you some power already uh, along with their speed. Do you think it's fair to say that we need, at a bare minimum, one other obvious standout tool to go with top-end speed for a player to be a clear big league regular. I mean, like that's probably always been true based on the scouting scale, right? Because I think it might Terrence, be more like, than one. Like Terrence Gore was was probably an eighty speed guy that didn't have any other even average tools. But right? I think it has to be more than one. Is my point right? I mean, because like, Billy Hamilton is huge. You got to have Billy that. Hamilton has eighty speed and eighty defense and didn't didn't really carve out. He carved out three years. So you could you could put elite speed and elite defense with any one of. Uh, one playing more tool. A, a great position or some power or a hit tool like hit something like you can yeah. you could have a below average hit tool but above average power with those two things that'll play you could have below average power and above average hit tool with those things that'll play too so you think it's, it's really three tools all together that you have to have if speed is really the the main carrying tool one toolers are just not there's there's almost no one toolers in baseball you could pick any one tool I mean the one the one one tool that might exist is like a just a hit tool guy like uh, maybe Tommy Lastella. Tommy Lastella has almost no other hit tools, but he even improved his his power, right? Yeah, long path so, for him to get as much playing time as he's had too, right? For years, like what's, a, he was what's just another stuck as a one hitter. tooler? No, they don't. They don't even really the exist. only power guys that didn't have great, uh, you know, plate discipline and and didn't like Chris Carter types. They, they're not in the game anymore either. Yeah, it seems like people come up with a way to beat you and then you don't have anything else to fall back on and you're done. And that's just how it goes. Yeah. I wonder if also if the speedsters of the future are guys who aren't going to show us that they're fast in the box score necessarily, 
before their arrival. Like they're going to steal six, eight, ten bags, whatever level to level as they move through the minor league system. But, but they're, they're going to be, be the so leagues, focused on the rest part of their games, right? Like they'll add that last. They'll say, "Hey, you know what? I got speed, and now I've got top line coaching. So now I can actually I, work on this part of my game because everything else that carries me to the big leagues is taken care of. Like it's, it's the possible extra thing you add because there there are no like I I like there can't I can't imagine that there's a lot of minor leaguers that think if I steal a bunch of bases, that's going to get the attention of my coaches or my front office, right? Right. If you're making major league. Four, they already make Major League Four. You know, yeah. Willie Mays Hayes is doesn't make any sense anymore as a character. So for somebody like, uh, and, and he's going to be on our, our list, but down list, so we wouldn't talk about him normally. But we're going to talk about a list in a second. But Alec Thomas, uh, you know, scratches, scratches a lot of box. People are excited about him. Um, you know, he's 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 showing basically all the skills. He's in AAA. He's an outfielder for the Diamondbacks. I, he's one of my favorite uh, prospects. I've, I've tried to hold on to him um, in places where I've sold a bunch of prospects. And, uh, you know, he's a guy I have my eye on. I talked to him at the Futures game, and he just seemed to have a really good approach. Look at this. He has eight triples. Now, he has nine stolen bases against five caught stealings. He wouldn't pop at you for having great speed. And he wouldn't pop if you did a sort by just stolen bases, and that was your only thing you looked at. But... Think of Alec Thomas, a guy who hit eight triples and has power and has uh, defensive value and has uh, plate skills. Think about that guy in the major leagues. Maybe not in year one, but maybe in year one. Think about Acuna when he got to the big leagues and was just like, I'm going to be a 30-30 candidate. You know what I mean? Like Alec Thomas may get to the major leagues and steal more bases than we expect. Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to be searching for guys that we think are going to steal 15 or 20 someday as opposed yeah. to getting 30 or 40 in one shot. The Bruhan types are going to be increasingly difficult to find. Alec I mean, Thomas is my you know future Kyle Tucker kind of guy. Yeah, and that definitely plays uh, really well. There's a couple of, like, potential sleepers here. We put together some leaderboards before we started recording. We were looking at uh, a combination of things. You, you found that the ISO over 100, especially at the big league level, was important to the sustained success of a base dealer. We decided to use 150 looking at double-A and triple-A hitters currently just to find some guys that have some pop. We put the K-rate filter at 24%. We wanted to start it at 20, and it turns was, out... It was like one player. It was Fidel things out. <laughs> yeah, it, it thinned it down a little too much, and we kept the age to 24 or younger since we're looking at double-A and triple-A and you know, coming off of uh, the pandemic year, especially being a little more flexible on that age was probably a good idea. Bruhan, of course, was the player that popped the most. He's 26 for 31 as a base dealer this year. We, we talked about him just now. Great. Everyone loves Vidal Bruhan. Good buy low for next year. Kyle Isbell is still on that list. And I think because he debuted and also didn't play particularly well and got sent back down and hasn't really had a lot of chances to come back up and show what he could do, people sort of stopped paying attention to him. And I'd be hesitant to write him off as a, a future useful fantasy player, given what we saw this year at AAA. I mean, he, he was skipping from high A to the big leagues when he debuted because of the lost year, which was a pretty aggressive promotion. And I don't think that should be held against him as we look at him in the future. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. I one thing that just bothers me is that uh, I don't know where he came from, but that's just on me, right? <laughs> I remember like being in drafts at the beginning of the season, and people were drafting him um, in uh, in like NFBC formats and stuff, and being like, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he does fit our, our filters, um, and I think he actually fits your sort of Bruhan description, where. The the forty one percent K rate just leaps off the page in the minor leagues. The last few stops he was at twenty or below. Uh, the swing strike rates weren't that high, so uh, I, I I would expect him to strike out less than twenty five percent of the time. Um, and the walk rate is the big variable. If he walks five percent of the time, then he might be a part timer, and then he'll have a hard time breaking into that lineup. But he has walked 10% of the time before, and that's what he's doing right now in AAA. So if he comes back up, walks 10% of the time, strikes out 25% of the time, and has a 150 ISO, I think that plays. Yeah, I think he might be a better fantasy player than a real-life player because of the speed. And I see that Fangraphs has a 60 grade on his defense. That's huge. You need that extra lift to keep the playing time steady. So 
Uh, I'd put Isbell definitely in our, our bounce back folder for the 2022 season as well. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., I'm an elite prospect. Yeah, he pops. Nothing no bad to, to say about him. Yeah, Nothing to dig into there. Uh, Jose Barrero just came up. He's on this list. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, what do you see in him? Because this was a name we really didn't hear at all prior to this season. Well, we literally didn't because he used to be called something else. What was he called before? Was he Jose Garcia? Yeah, he was Jose Garcia. He changed his name so he's to back. his mother, I think. Mm-hmm. Um uh, one thing that I have heard about him behind the scenes from other evaluators is difficulty with wiggle as in he can murder the fastball, but has some difficulty with, uh, with things that break. So, uh, that may lead to a higher strikeout rate than you'd expect. Um, you know, we've talked about this on the show about the sort of variability. He's right at that like 22% strikeout rate, which could either, you know, graduate to the major leagues at 23% or 30%. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's going to be the big one that I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't decide that. I don't, I, I don't know that for sure myself. I will say that he's been really impressive at double and triple A this year. Uh, blowing the doors off of basically, I mean, we're talking about a 33 WRC plus and double a uh, 50, uh, 53 above average, 133, 153. So 30 to 50% better than league average at double a and triple a at 23 years old with already a taste two tastes of the major leagues and a super need at his position and plus defense. Like, I think it's about the time that they just set it and forget it there. Um, it's really interesting that he, if you look at his minor league line, nothing will pop because there's like 13 steals here, eight steals here, seven steals here. Uh, but if you add it all up, uh, he's in the sort of top 10 of interesting speedsters. And so he could come up, I think, and hit 250, uh, hit, uh, 18 to 20 homers, even if he doesn't hit the wiggle. Um, and steal you 15 bags. And it would be, it, it's not a, a package that we see a ton. It's a little bit like Freddie Galvis with speed, or uh, I don't know. It, it, it's not one that I have an immediate comp for in my head. But I just think, given their need, given the fact that Cal Farmer was playing there before, it's about to be set it and forget it time for the Reds uh, with Jose Barrero and just give him two or three years and see what he can do. And that's a pretty ideal situation for uh, people to, 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 cat, to try and capture him. Yeah, I think when we were back at the beginning of the season, it, it was, well, can Garcia be the guy that is not ready for the big leagues, but he just plays shortstop because I don't have anybody else. And yeah. it, would, it would sacrifice his development as a hitter. Instead of doing that, instead of pushing him out of the roster, they gave him the year in the minors, and it's paying off in a big way. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that there is still that concern uh, with the swing and miss. He's on my Razzlam cut line, uh, my Razzlam best ball, that I'm in the finals. I made it. Nice. I'm in the top 15. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, he didn't give me any value all year, but it'd be really funny uh, if he gave me just uh, some crazy-ass weeks in the end and helped me win that thing. <laughs> it could totally happen. And uh, I, w- I would say, you know, he, he's, he has a lot of ways to make value. So I think that's what makes Barrero uh, so exciting. Uh, a little Ken- deeper, I wanted to I wanted to go one deeper. This is... So I think Barrera, I think all the guys we've talked to so far, I talked about so far, I think Isbell is a redraft um, uh, or sort of reclamation project for for Dynasty and and an interesting redraft late round best ball type pick next year. Uh, Bruhan Bruhan and Witt are top of the line. You're going to have to pay up uh, next year if you want them. And maybe the play is to pay up a little bit less for Bruhan than for Witt. Um, and then Barrero, I think, is somebody that could be drafted in most deep leagues next year. Um, someone who hit 17 homers and 15 stolen bases in the minor leagues last year that probably has that set and forget a job. I think these guys are all uh, draftable in most leagues. The next name I'm going to give, I don't know if he's draftable. He's more of a deep league, uh, deep cut, possible sleeper. G1 Bay, uh, 22-year-old uh, shortstop uh, in the Pirates organization. I just see them as now being sort of weak up the middle. I think Rodolfo Castro is a guy I like, but uh, I think Newman could be a non-tender candidate next year. Um, Bay has is a little bit iffy on the ISO. We're in rookie ball. He was under 100, but then 
A ball over 100 and double A at 150 right now with the ground ball rates going down. Projected for a 115 ISO. Uh, strikeout rate looks okay. Walk rates look good. Like, I think this could be uh, an interesting player. I know the WRC plus in, w- in double A right now is 98. That's not amazing. That's going to keep him off list. Uh, 45 future value at Fangraphs is going to keep him off list. But interesting, look at this. 50 uh, present, 70 future hit tool. It's a lot of hit tool. Yeah, that's a lot of hit tool. Combine that with uh, with good defense um, and some emerging power, uh, and then you have this these these wheels underneath. Uh, 65, uh, 65 wheels, according to Fangraphs. If that name sounds familiar, uh, Juwan Bay has a really interesting backstory. It's not all good. He was one of the Braves prospects that John Coppolella put together pretty much illegally and was required to let loose back into the wild. So then he signed a nearly, I think it's an over a million dollar bonus with the Pirates, um, where he's been playing pretty well. Uh, He also had to serve a 30-game suspension for domestic violence uh, after being found guilty of uh, slapping and kicking his girlfriend in Korea. So it's not all good news there. Um, and certainly, uh, his, even his profile as a player is not all great. Um, but I, I think there's uh, some potential there and uh, hopefully some potential for uh, getting his life back together again uh, and being a quality middle infielder for the Pirates. Yeah, I think he's definitely got a path to at least get an opportunity in the not-so-distant future in Pittsburgh. I think you might be right, though. It's going to be tough to draft him outside of maybe NL-only leagues as a reserve going into next season. The other guy that I think is kind of interesting is Kevin Smith in Toronto, and I don't really know how they're going to fit him into their plans, so maybe he's another guy that actually needs a trade. I mean, he can play shortstop. Marcus Simeon's there on a one-year deal, though. I imagine Simeon's going to get a boatload of money, and deservedly so, as a free agent this winter. So if they can't keep Simeon, maybe Kevin Smith actually gets a chance to break through with the Jays as part of the mix second plan base from day one though. You know what I mean? I think, I think maybe, maybe it changes their plan for day one and they say, you know, uh, we'll do a soft rental situation again at second base, like sign Cesar Hernandez, you know, for one and five, because we think Kevin Smith might take over for him. Um, but I do, and then, and then the strikeout rate has some softness to it. I mean, he had a 32% strikeout rate in 2019 at double a, so there's, there's a chance he strikes out too much, but I mean, I, definitely somebody I would, I would also want to remember. Yeah. Has it back in check though at triple a career high walk rate, 11.4% to go along with it. 19 homers and he's 16 for 19 as a base dealer in 82 games for the Jays this year at the triple a level. So just another guy that doesn't get any of the, the prospect, Hype similar to the other names we talked about, but could actually find some playing time next year for those of you in really deep leagues. So thanks a lot for that question, Owen. I think there was a lot of interesting stuff to kind of pick away at there as we were uh, looking for some future sources of speed. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, We had a follow-up question come in about Shohei Otani. The question was whether uh, Otani is actually uh, omitted from our conversation by design as a top-five player for next season. We were both looking at it from a a weekly sort of league, an NFPC sort of perspective where... I would say, no, I did it by accident, man. (laughs) Yeah, like I (laughs) My excuse is that sometimes I think of things from a weekly perspective and... 
and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I'm interested to see what your perspective is. Like, I'm not sure where to draft him next year in a weekly league. Yeah, I didn't leave him out because I didn't think he was deserving. I didn't put him in there in my head because it, I still I have to get past the block of the two way player and the weekly league mindset for sure. Uh, so I, would I take him in the top five of a weekly league draft? I still have a hard time doing that. And I feel like picking Nitz and Shohei Otani is not a business that I want to be in because it's like because it's, he's, he's amazing. He's awesome. Like, why, why would we want to do that? But, Here's the but, thing. Yeah, yeah. Look at his playing time for this year. It, it's very comparable to other players who play every day. It's it's not like if you look at a leaderboard for plate appearances, right? He's got 467 plate appearances. How many players do you think have more plate appearances than Shohei Otani so far this season? More than 467. 15, 20? 45. Okay. Only 45. And a bunch of those guys are, you know, Virtual with, within... Every day. Because, I mean, the, the problem is that nobody's every day, right? Like, the problem is we're kind of doing load management everywhere and everyone's, everyone's yeah. taking days off. Yeah, so can you accept that? Can you accept uh, that slightly reduced workload built in? And there's there's injury risk with any player, but there's elevated injury risk for him as someone who's it's had Tommy John surgery before. A little bit of production before. risk. I mean, he has a thirty one percent strikeout rate, right? Right. I don't think we would typically draft a guy with a K rate that high in the top five. Yeah. Although so we did. Tatis was close. Tatis was close, and you're getting power. You're getting speed. You have an average that probably could tick up pretty easily. If the K rate comes down a little, suddenly the average pushes into that 280, 290 range, and you're kicking yourself for not taking him. So he belongs in that conversation. I would say the the, the omission was not purposeful, uh, but I, I don't think I'm going to take him with a top five pick at this point. It's early enough where that could obviously change with some further evaluation and some further research. Extrapolating his the bat projection over a full year and instead of taking, you know, instead of on pace for stuff with his current numbers, um, you would expect him to hit 275 with like uh, about 40 homers and 18 stolen bases next year. Jeez. <laughs> I, think, I think almost the pitching stuff is irrelevant. I think you just take that guy in as a bat. Well, I, I, that's, that's how I'd play it. I mean, in the... the league where I got him it's a twice weekly lineup change format I don't think I've pitched him in months I've maybe yeah. pitched him once all season because it, I have not been able to justify not using his bat in that UT spot he's that good of a hitter but we should have talked about him because I would say this I think that in the leagues daily leagues where you can get both of them I think he's the number one player next year yeah, I think he will go 1-1 in a lot of those drafts, and rightfully so, because he nice doesn't thing- have the major injury, like immediate major injury concerns that a lot of those other guys that would have been in that spot currently and then have. The, and then there's also more of an opportunity to capture the floor that he provides. It's like, well, what if he does get injured in pitching? He'll probably still hit. Or what if his hitting takes a step back? Then you can use him as a pitcher, right? Like he, There's so many different ways to use him that it creates floor. Uh, which is kind of what, like you you want high floor, but you do want some floor out of your first round picks. You want them to hit. So you know I you know there's a you you look at Tatis right. You drafted him really high. He did not play all year. He did not give it you wanted, and yet he still is returning super value. Right, because mm-hmm. you bought super high floor. Um, Trout didn't work out that way this year, maybe, but. I know the per game power output probably has to come down, but he can afford to give back a little and still be a one-one player in Especially leagues with daily if the K moves. Rate comes down a little bit. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I'm I want to keep in mind with Otani is that a healthier Anthony Rendon and a healthier Mike Trout, which both seem pretty likely, they both should play more than they did this year. When we look ahead to next year, that's a good thing for Otani's value as well. Uh, one thing I have to say is unless they built that stadium on Indian grounds. Oh, geez. Did they do that? <laughs> I'm just saying, man. It's like, oh, man, they can't put it together, man. It's just, it's so sad. They're going to go into next year with two of the top 10 players in baseball and maybe three of the top 15, 20. Yeah. 
they they are a true disappointment. Like we talked about disappointments <laughs> earlier. Like sad. I had much higher it's expectations. Soul saddening for the Angels with the star power they have. But thank you to Chris for tweeting at us with that question about Otani. Uh, last question for today. This one came in via email from Clinton. I think we're all doing this to varying degrees at this point in the season. There's a question about end of season roto strategy. I know we're at the point where you should be focusing on categories where we can realistically make up ground. The problem is I have a couple of these that are in opposition to each other. For example, adding 10 more wins relative to other teams would net me 7.5 points while adding 10 saves would add 4 points. My current strategy has been to try and chase both simultaneously. This is a weekly league, so he's going with 5 starters and 4 relievers. Should I ditch that and just go after wins at this point? I have 2 viable starters I could put in if I decide to stop chasing saves thanks clinton how do you make a decision like this you know when do you pull the string to just go down that path with that more imbalanced sort of lineup to i can't lock in i I can't recommend my my strategy uh (laughs) my strategy is to uh try to get both until you know the last two or three weeks and then and then go real hard at one um so i'm not sure that's the best strategy but the reason that you could do it for a little bit while longer is to start weeks. So you have these extra pitchers. You could just make sure that you always put in the guys that have two starts. Um, you know, make sure that you kind of get as much as you can out of what you what you've got. Maybe even stream a little uh, in one of those spots to keep getting two start pitchers in there. Uh, the one thing I will have to say though is that I think saves are maybe more uh, projectable than wins. I find chasing wins to be impossible. I like I and I do it every year because I don't draft for wins. And I feel like every year I'm like, oh, it's time to chase wins. And uh it's terrible. So I would say uh there might come a time when you have to make this the other decision and go hard after saves. I think in this case, seeing there's almost twice as many points to be gained in the wins category, I'd flip the switch now. I'd go more aggressive with the starters right away. I'd go seven and two on the starters. And I know you can pick up the occasional win from the relievers. So it's not the worst thing in the world if you stay more balanced a bit longer, because you're right, it's hard to predict wins. Uh, But I'd rather try and get every one of those seven and a half points than maybe get the four points by getting the 10 saves by having that more balanced approach. Like you're guaranteeing, you're almost guaranteeing yourself that you're not going to close that seven and a half point gap down by splitting things up. But if you max out the volume of starts, two start weeks are huge, especially this time of year. I think you got a better chance of, of at least getting everything you can in wins, even if you only get a little or don't get anything in terms of made up ground and saves. Yeah, I'm trying to internalize that. I'm gonna have a. I need a little DVR next to me on my shoulder. I'm trying to internalize <laughs> that that feeling. I I was a little bit more aggressive in a few leagues this year with with certain trades. Like I traded uh, Joey Gallo for Whit Merrifield uh, in Barf um, because I knew that the auction calculator said that Gallo was better going forward, but I was really strong in OBP and homers, and another stolen base threat uh, could get me a lot of points. And guess what happened? I got like six points in steals and lost like four points in OBP. Hmm. I mean, I got hurt by Grundahl and some other things. So I'm hoping I can get some of those points back in OBP, but like every time you make a decision somewhere, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's like the fingers in the dike, man. Oh yeah. Like Vegas vacation. Yeah. Because you're saying right now, like, Oh, well switch over uh, to, to that. What what we also don't know is how many points he could lose in saves. That is an important thing to keep in mind. Like I I, I kind of dumbly, uh, dumbly, yeah, dumbly is the right word. Assume that like maybe there weren't as many points to lose there. That's what I figured. He looked at it and said, oh, "I got a little bit of a, a cliff here, so I can choose that, my path." That's but. the that's the main thing I think is is looking for those cliffs, um, and, and looking about like, do I have a cushion here do i have and then that allows you also to kind of play it week to week a little bit all right like now i'm going to go hard after wins and watch that gap like between me and the next person and saves dwindle away dwindle away okay i gotta put one of these closers back in yeah thank you for the question clinton i think that's a very common question this time of year and it's tough even with a lot of experience to always know exactly when you want to make those changes i know for people who are even uh 
more numbers driven than I am. I'm sure that it's very easy for them to calculate it. Like I, I would imagine that Ariel Cohen doesn't sweat this quite the same way that I do, or Jeff Zimmerman probably doesn't sweat it quite the same way I do. It doesn't always I'm, turn out the way you project either. No, but I, I, I just I, I have a little more of a, a feel approach comparatively yeah. speaking to the way that I don't they project out that every problem. category for every player, every league, every team in my league. Uh, I'm in something like 18 leagues. I cannot. I don't. I don't. Don't have the headspace. I should do those things, but thank you for the question, Clinton. And because I used the word, the non-word, dumbly about 90 seconds ago, it's time for us to go. It's time for me to eat some lunch very, very clearly. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to drop us an email, you can do that at ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Get a subscription for 30% off at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. to get to everything we have on the site, Eno's writing, all the fantasy football stuff we've got up now, all the stretch run coverage all the Mets coverage that you can uh, shake your fist at if you're an angry Mets fan right now. So be sure to sign up if you don't have a subscription already on Twitter. He is at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. 